Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Before we get started, let's take a look at a video of Impossible. So what are you doing here? I came back today to where I studied at Cambridge University. It's the launch of Impossible, which is trying to encourage a gift economy. We have basically turned this tree for the day into a giving tree. So we've built a social network called Impossible. This is a physical, real demonstration of what will be happening on the app, which is essentially wishing, and then we show wishes to other people around you. Friends, neighbours, people whose skills match, and hope that people start doing things for each other for free. Surely people who don't know another person are unlikely to help them out. I think that we're used to that way of thinking. You have to pay somebody to do something. But actually, I feel like so many people are naturally generous. If you put a number on the amount of things people currently do for free for each other in the UK, it's bigger than GDP. If you've got you know, time and skills to give people, it's a good idea in terms of obviously sharing and potentially getting stuff in return. What did you wish for? Uh, somebody to kind of teach me to dance on. Oh, <laughs> oh, I hope we can make that happen. <laughs> Please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Vice Chair of the Clinton Foundation, Chelsea Clinton, and tonight's guest, founder of Impossible, Lily Cole. Thank you. Um, first, I want to thank the Apple Store for hosting us this evening and everyone at Apple who's been tremendously supportive. I want to thank all of you for coming. And most of all, I want to thank Lily for being here and sharing something that otherwise would have been thought impossible, that she indeed has made possible. I hope that tonight will be a conversation um, and that you won't be too afraid to ask questions. But I will certainly exercise my prerogative as the moderator to get us started. So Lily, in the video you talked a little bit about how we're so accustomed to having to pay something to get something. Now, could you explain a little bit about kind of what a gift economy is and why you were so drawn to this idea? So, uh, yeah, the way, the idea actually existed before I knew what the term gift economy um, was or meant. Um, and uh, the idea was just a very intuitive thing of, well, there's a way that I interact with my friends and there's a way that I interact with my family and sometimes with strangers, but very rarely, um, where we don't count a measure, like I don't count the amount of hours I spend listening to my friend on the phone or like, how many times I've helped them. There's just a natural understanding of that's the flow of the relationship and I get so much value from that. Um, wouldn't it be wonderful if we were able to open those possibilities and kind of widen the community that I had those experiences with. And then I discovered the gift economy as a concept. I was uh, in my last year at university and uh, actually was an anthropologist who I was doing a play with at the time. Uh, I told her about this, this idea and she was like, well, you should, you should read books on the gift economy because it's been written about by anthropologists um, a lot. And I read Marcel Mauss's book first, uh, The Gift, and then several after that. And what I took from it in an academic sense as the kind of big difference with exchange paradigms, most obviously money, but there are many others, is uh, based on reciprocity and return. So with uh, The Gift Economy, I do something for you because I can and because you have a need that I can meet or you know want or a wish that I can meet um, not because I expect you to give me something directly back um, but if you imagine that everybody is doing that inevitably when I have a need or a wish or a want or a can um, uh, or a desire 
somebody else will do it for me. And so the reciprocity is there, but it's just broken down. And by breaking that down, by making it generalized, so to speak, you build relationships between the individuals. And the relationships, like the subtle kind of um, social bonds that are recognized to work, in my experience of friendships or in the academic context of, um, of gift economies, um, that to me is the really powerful uh, part of this, which is the reason I'm doing it. And where did the name Impossible come from? Uh, it came from, uh, it was partially inspired by my thesis, which um, is called Impossible Utopias, and was looking at the concept of utopia and uh, arguing that it's actually a really important to have what that idea represents, which I, as I understand it is possibility and is optimism and is a belief that at any given moment we all have the kind of power to see things differently, create things differently. And uh, I'd talked about in my thesis the idea of possibility and impossibility and um, questioned how often we call things impossible, which actually aren't. You know, it's like, how often do you he overhear someone in, in a cafe say something's impossible? And if you really thought about it, like logically, you're like, well, that's not actually impossible. You just think it's impossible. Um, and this spoke to any potential cynicism, and I'm sure there's lots, and I'm sure there'll be more, that the idea that we could do things for each other for um, kind of for non-transactional reasons without an obvious sense of uh, return that was coming was utopian or was impossible um, and I don't believe it is. Um, I do believe it's possible, that's why we crossed the I'm out and that was the play with the idea. Um, and so you must confront a lot of cynicism. I think anyone who is an entrepreneur confronts lots of cynicism because there is a strong bias towards inertia and that sort of whatever is today will be tomorrow. So what do you say both to cynics and then what do you say now to other people who are coming with their impossible ideas asking you for advice? Um, I try not to really say much to cynics. I, I try to just do it, you know. Um, and quite extraordinarily, the only reason it's been done actually has been because of the gift economy, has been because I started talking to people about this idea and over and over and over again, people would be like, oh, I love it, how can I help you? Like, I'll do this part and I'll do this part and I'll do this part. And I mean, I'm the only person from Impossible sitting on this stage, but there is a huge host of people both like in our team now or in our advisors or external to that who've been part of making this real and it genuinely wouldn't exist without that um, the contribution of many people. Um, and now it is actually live and real and um, it hasn't proven anything dramatic, but it's got a community there who really have been incredibly receptive and incredibly positive and are starting to do things for each other for non-transactional reasons. So. I hope and think it's uh, kind of proving itself somewhat, and I think hopefully that's the loudest voice we can we can give to cynics. <laughs> and the best repudiation. And what do you say to other young entrepreneurs who want to translate their imaginations into something real, tangible, whether it be kind of in the app store um, or otherwise? Uh, that anything pretty much is possible <laughs> if you really like put your heart and your mind to something, I do believe that. Um, and it takes a lot of work, like I'm not gonna pretend this is like skipping down a, like a country lane, um, but if you really deeply believe in what you're doing, um, that moves mountains. 
Um, and I'd also say cooperation is incredibly powerful and incredibly empowering. And so talking to people and finding people who align with your vision that want to work together with you on it is also very powerful. Um, you've already spoken and we've talked a lot about the importance of partnerships and finding people with whom you share a common vision, a common purpose. How have you found the people who have helped you translate impossible into what it is today and will continue to help it grow and flourish? A little bit of luck, for sure. I mean, you have to just be lucky enough to meet the right people. Um, definitely openness. Like I started out feeling quite closed about it and protective almost, and then realized how difficult it was to do and realized I just have to like talk to anybody and everybody and invite everybody into this process. And, um, and then people just kind of naturally find their way or not, because inevitably there are some people who doesn't speak to, and usually they float away from you in the process. And then there'll be other people who it really does speak to, and it rings the same bell in their soul that it rang in mine at the beginning, you know? Um, and they're still, you know, they're still part of it. Uh, and hopefully there'll be many more of, of those as we kind of go on this journey. One of the design choices that you made in Impossible was to create it as a social business. Um, I think we are probably more aware of what a social business is and what its kind of covenant obligations are than many people may be. Could you talk a little bit about kind of what it means to be a social business and why you chose for Impossible to be a social business? So, um, yes, it, it was, it's interesting to see it as a design choice because I've never heard that phrase before, but it, it, it is in a way um, a choice I made in the, in the whole process of conceptualizing how this would work. And um, so two years ago, I went to Davos. Um, I was there with the British government doing a campaign pre-Olympics. And I met two men who became very influential on me in this, in this project, um, Professor Muhammad Yunus and Jimmy Wales. And when I first met Jimmy Wales, uh, founder of Wikipedia, got very excited because Wikipedia is one of the biggest known gift economies. And I uh, uh, started talking to him. And the first question I asked him was, why did he make Wikipedia a nonprofit? Because I had been kind of circling this thought process in my mind, do I want to make this a nonprofit? Do I want to make this a business? And I was attracted to both ideas. The reason I was attracted to the idea of business is because I see the power of business. I mean, I work in many other ways uh, in businesses and with businesses, and I see them, you know, they have a very powerful, if they're successful, voice on our, in our planet, uh, an effect on our planet. Um, but I was attracted to the intention that I find in, in nonprofit space, and I felt it would be inherently paradoxical and wrong if I became very rich off doing a project like this, or if any other kind of private individuals became rich off doing something um, of this nature. And so uh, in exploring those ideas that day, somebody suggested to me, well, why don't you look at Eunice's social business, uh, Professor Mohammed Eunice's uh, business model? Very simple idea, um, but he's codified a language around it, which is to run a business with a social mission and then invest 100% of the, of the profit into that social mission or funding other social businesses. Um, I met with him uh, with very, you know, good fortune and uh, met him a few times that year and he invited me out to Bangladesh. Um, I went to Bangladesh with him for five days and I remember, f like, I went by myself and I was so busy trying to organize this whole thing and I just had a feeling I should go. And then I ended up, like, in, you know, where I can't remember where we transitioned to um, Dubai or somewhere, in the airport, just being like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, why am I going to Bangladesh? I'm so busy. Like, is am I crazy? Um... And it was one of the most important trips I've made. Uh, it had a huge impact on me, uh, studying the model, 
meeting uh, both people involved in his social businesses there, also Grameen, the structures he's done uh, previous, spending time with him and very smart people around him talking about and just thinking about the implications of the idea made me leave knowing that it was the right, the right thing for me to do with Impossible. And six months later, we did a conversation with him and announced that we'd be, I think, with the first British unisocial business. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, what has surprised you most about the Impossible journey thus far? Um, it's been like, like I'm sitting here right now, you know, like talking to you all. It's continually mad um, that I was just there two, you know, five minutes ago watching the stream live and watching people who I don't know posting their wishes and seeing their wishes, you know, and it's so human and insightful. And if I think I can help, I, I'm one click away from being able to help. And hopefully if I don't, someone else will. I mean, watching that all kind of move and, and come together is, is uh, like magical in some way. So it really is the wishing tree kind of in practice on a global scale. Hopefully, yeah. I've, I've been to the reason we did that tree, and uh, that was in my old university. Um, the thought process behind that was I was very taken by the trees in Tokyo. I don't know if you've ever been there, where you write your wish on the tree and then you hang it. Um, and that tradition of wishing, and I just think wishing is such an old-fashioned and universal tradition. And usually there's not really, uh, on, pr on a practical level, there's not like a next step to that. You know, it's just kind of a, a communication, I guess, to the cosmos. And I thought, wouldn't it be so wonderful if you did that and then we take the wishes which we did from that tree down and then we actually put them into a network that might actually fulfill some of them and fulfill them through our own connections and our own power, you know, and humanizes the, the possibility there. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so do you have any sense of how many wishes are being fulfilled on Impossible? Do you have any sense of sort of when that connection is made and a wish is met and then the gift economy kind of moves out of the ephemeral and very much into the kind of practical? It's, um, I wish I had like really specific numbers. Uh, we don't because I can see, you can so see. You should wish for that on Impossible and there someone should build that I algorithm wish. for you. Maybe, maybe someone in this room tonight could do that for we Lily. <laughs> Brown, you're laughing. I think that maybe you just committed. Um, we can get somewhat of a sense, like we can see when a wish has been uh, turned into a thank you. So thanking is the currency of sorts on the, on the network. Uh, I like the idea of an abundant currency that you can only ever earn. Um, and that doesn't have any real value in the sense that you can't exchange your five thank yous for anything, but just shows the community what's happening um, and reflects goodwill. And so from looking at the thank yous, we know it's in the thousands now that the, the wishes have been realized and thanked upon. Um, but a lot of the people I've connected with through the network also tell me stories of things happening that you know, aren't, aren't charted in uh, the literal thing of you know, writing and wishing and thanking. They're just connections made and then they have a conversation and I think there's a lot more potentially happening than we'll ever actually really be able to quantify. But still, if someone wants to help with an algorithm, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, my grandmother uh, always sort of uh, enjoined our family to ever be practicing what she called the discipline of gratitude. And I think that's one of the reasons why I resonate so deeply with Impossible and all that you're doing. Um, it's actually last week I went to see Chelsea speak in uh, South by Southwest and it was very beautiful actually you quoted your grandma a couple of times and I thought of that time that you first told me that she talked about how important gratitude was as a discipline um, and that really stayed with me too because I do think it's such a 
I think it's such a powerful thing. You know, I think um, it is it is really the currency in this, whether it's like you creating a picture and sending it or not. Um, the feeling of gratitude, like the grateful, the gratitude I have for the people I've touched through this process is what kind of inspires me to, you know, to keep doing it. To continue. Um, on an average day, do you have a sense of what people are wishing for on Impossible? Sort of what are the kind of the most sort of extreme philosophical hopeful and what are just really the practical that people kind of could use in their daily lives to make them feel better or maybe to make their lives a little easier? It's quite a mix. Um, I don't look at every single one. I wish I could. It's actually, it's quite exciting that they're, they're coming in too fast now for me to watch. Um, but I do continue to check in. And it's an interesting mix between um, sometimes ephemeral things. So like, actually we just introduced a popular uh, popular feed in the, in the new update and it's interesting to see on the popular feed it's often quite generalized ideas that you know that a lot of people could relate to that they might not deliver upon so you get wishes for you know the the war in ukraine to end or somebody's uh, ill cousin to get well and things that you know nobody else in impossible is potentially actually going to be able to deliver upon but suggest kind of emotional communal feelings um, and then you get very practical things. Uh, learning languages has been quite common, skill sharing, mentoring. Um, here's something we pulled up just before we came out. Um, uh, some, I saw somebody last week had uh, wished to get her garden weeded because she had two twins. And reading through the thread, that was delivered. You know, that was some, a local neighbor offered to help. Um, so you do get quite practical ones. And the hope with it is that as we get denser localized communities, the the platform can hopefully serve more real life uh, answerable wishes. And what have you wished for on Impossible? Um, I wish to go to space, which is not a good example of like what how practical these should be, but I thought I'll just put it there. And actually then somebody offered to take me to space, <laughs> so it's great. Um, and uh, <laughs> I also wished for uh, tomorrow we're doing a party, everyone's welcome, um, to launch Impossible here again. And I invited people in the Impossible community, so if you want to come, you have to download the app and answer my wish. Um, I wish that people would come, and if they have anything they want to bring, which could just be themselves, uh, to let me know. I wished for a bag a couple of weeks ago because mine broke um, on, on, in the airport. And uh, luckily, as, it, as I turned up at the house, um, uh, the man I was staying with gave me a bag. So that was quite nice. And he, uh, he's on Impossible, so I thanked him. Um, so it's been a mixture of things. I wish to learn to cook. Uh, I wish to learn uh, graffiti. I wish to meet a few people. And interestingly, in all of those instances, it wasn't that, well, at least those last few ones I just mentioned, uh, they all are in the process of coming true or came true. And it wasn't necessarily that somebody said in direct response, oh, I can do that. Like, I can teach you to graffiti, for example. Um, nobody did that. But several people saw that and went, oh, I know somebody who can teach you. And so what it meant was that I, by exposing that desire, exposed the, you know, exposed the fact that I needed, like, wanted that. Um, it opened up loads of opportunities, the same with uh, meeting somebody. And I think that's really interesting because I've noticed like a girl I know not very well, but I know in San Francisco, like I saw one of her wishes. She'd never communicated that to me. And it was something I could very easily help with. And I think just allowing people to, to offer information they might not normally feel comfortable putting out there um, creates a lot more possibility. So what wishes does Impossible think are unacceptable? What wishes do you take down? 
Good question. Um, it's a really tricky thing with taking wishes down because I hate the idea of censorship. So it's a kind of very, very fine line. Um, but we uh, obviously take down anything that's like offensive, um, uh, illegal, um, and um, and also monetary content and uh, try to discourage it because it could be so easy to become another, you know, there are plenty and plenty of websites that you can post things to do with money and sell things um, and that's fine. But it's like, can we create a space that that's not the prerogative? And I think we have to be quite protective about that. Um, what we've done is we've put flagging tools and I'm hopeful that our community will become more and more proactive at managing it itself. Um, by like kind of self-policing. So when you, if you see content you don't like, you can report it and say, you know, it's monetary or it's offensive, et cetera. And, um, and then, you know, once a few people do that, it automatically pulls down. And I think building decentralized ways that the community can self-moderate is really important. Great. Do we have questions from the audience? Otherwise I can just keep going. Um, do you ever see the organization growing to be able to fulfill wishes that aren't being met um, and if so, like, what type of partnerships do you dream or wish, I guess I should say, um, that you want to work with to, to fulfill that? What, what do you mean, sorry, what kinds of wishes? So like if wishes aren't being met, do you see the organization growing to a point to where you all can fulfill those wishes through various partnerships or people that you know that has those resources to do it? Interesting question. Right now it's very peer-to-peer, -peer, um, and I, felt like, I feel like that's an important environment to create. Um, and uh, because really the power is all from us. You know, it's the idea if we were all, like us group of people right now, stuck, you know, imagine the doors get locked <laughs> like, and we're here for a month and we've got to work it out together. You know, like we probably, we might, we might need some help with food and water, but we probably have enough of everything, you know, of ourselves to, to make things happen. Um, and so I've been trying to create an environment where people feel empowered without needing any kind of top-down um, uh, ways of, of doing things. At the same time, I am actually very interested if uh, we can build partnerships with different organizations and moving forward that might, and I don't know how exactly that will manifest yet because I need to spend some time thinking it through, but that might be able to fulfill wishes, as you suggested, which I think could be really interested, and then also might also have wishes uh, that they could ask to the community. So there are obviously many NGOs and um, people who have real, you know, like they're kind of filtering real world needs that it, we might be an interesting um, a partner for them to bring them resource. So on both the supply and the demand side? Yeah, potentially. I think it will take a bit of thought, but I'm, to I'm very, very open-minded. And um, we're just beginning actually to get organizations approach us and ask us those questions. And uh, I have a very open door policy to people approaching us and starting the conversation because it's only really through conversation we can work out the best way to make that work. Yes, ma'am. Hi, um, I work with something called the International School of Self-Awareness. And what we've discovered through this is that uh, dialogue, internal dialogue and external dialogue really are um, a key to development of relationships. How do we, through this type of medium, touch a demographic of people? Um, just briefly looking at Impossible, it seems it attracts quite naturally a young demographic um, how do we reach out to a broader demographic? And how do we reach out to community? So how do we get that full group community to be really involved in this? Because it really seems like it could be highly uh, beneficial to anybody who does that. I think that will be, um, we have a community manager joining us in a few weeks in the team, and that's going to be a big part of her job, 
is uh, how we can work with different existing communities and serve them, basically. Um, I think in terms of demographic, it, uh, we made a website on purpose, uh, as well as the iPhone app, so that it would be hopefully accessible, and we tried to make it as simple as possible for people to use. Obviously, that can always be simplified, and we're on an iterative process of trying to make it easier and easier for people to use. Um, my, uh, my technical partner is really interested in SMS technology for the developing world. Like We're thinking about all the different ways you can try and make it more accessible. At the same time, it is technology. You know, It will, it will be limited to a certain audience. Um, we're even actually building uh, public... Uh, like we're taking the bodies of uh, recycled ATMs and making them access points that could be public for, for seeing wishes and printing local wishes. Um, so we're thinking about the different ways we can try and uh, open the platform as much as possible to others, but inevitably there is always going to be a limitation on the basis that it is um, technology. But hopefully, I mean, the thing is really about the idea. You know, the thing is really about a cultural idea of how we understand our relationships to one another. And people can participate that in that and hopefully participate in that without using the app and using the website. And I guess I would also say I would hope that young people would help democratize the idea to other generations. You know, certainly, um, like with my grandmother, I, my husband and I gave her an iPad for her 90th birthday. And she used it with such joy uh, until she passed away a couple of years later, partly because she loved to garden. And she could no longer garden actively. Um, she was too infirm in body, but her mind and her spirit were just as fierce as ever. So she could imagine what the garden would look like were she able to garden. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think that that is in many ways our responsibility for those of us who are technologically fluent to help explain why it is such a special gift to be so to those who may be quite far from being digital natives. And you can post on behalf of people as well. So you could post a wish on your behalf of your, your Emma. Um, and one other thing on that question, we do actually have a 96-year-old woman on Impossible. We do actually have quite a few older users, which is lovely. Um, yeah, P yeah. 96, like. That's great. Yeah, I love it. That's great. <laughs> I follow her. <laughs> <laughs> Understandably. Um, yes. Hi, can you talk a bit more about the business model behind it and how you see Impossible growing? Good question. Um, so I have a much more pragmatic side of the team who makes me think about the business model. <laughs> it was something I avoided for a long time and I was like, yeah, we just it just needs to work and we'll grow users and then we'll work that out. <laughs> um, and there's still part of me that believes that because I think there are ideas and opportunities that will manifest as the as the community grows and as it as it scales. Um, but there's one specific idea we're exploring now um, so that we can hopefully become uh, you know, at least self-sustainable in the next few years, um, which is looking at uh, products and what the supply chains of products. So I have a, a kind of back history, which is related in a confu slightly confusing way of um, looking at supply chains through working in fashion. And so I became very, very interested in the impact of the things we buy um, socially, environmentally, because of the stories they have behind them. And I've always felt very frustrated by the fact that most of those stories are incredibly opaque. And even as a kind of um, well-intentioned consumer who wants to buy things that I know are empowering people by being made, I actually can very rarely do that because it's usually so hard to know the stories behind objects. And so what we're looking at is um, building a structure that can make transparency 
uh, more accessible to consumers and surface products on that um, kind of on that pedestal. Yes, in the front. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, so it seems like the model relies a bit on those who fulfill the wishes, basically just doing it altruistically. Is there any idea about having hooks in there to appeal to things like um, status or individuals' desire for recognition of doing good deeds? I know altruism is a, is a beautiful thing, but maybe you're leaving some unfulfilled wishes on the table by not using these other motivators. So not just a good Samaritan, but the best Samaritan? <laughs> yes. Lily? <laughs> um, we do that a little bit. Um, so the thank yous that you send are always public. Um, you can't actually choose to make them non-public to kind of uh, not even give people the option to be humble about it. Um, and they're always on your profile. So when you look at another user's profile, you'll see the history of the thanks that they've received and sent. And the thinking with that is that we're not saying, like, in a kind of uh, omnipotent way, because this person has loads of thank yous, you should therefore be nicer to them. Um, but the community can see each other. Like, in the same way that potentially old school community could, you know, you recognize the behavior of one another. And I believe that people are more generous to the people who are more generous. Um, and that's why it works, you know, because it iterates itself. Um, so the thank yous try to mimic that idea and can be shared on other social networks, etc. And I think there's a very interesting analogy in my mind between social reputation that that suggests um, and social reputation that you could potentially argue is in Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. And um, uh, how social reputation is understood to be a big part of um, potluck and uh, kind of uh, gift, uh, gift economies in the past that actually social reputation was a big part of uh, other gift economies and kind of more old school practices. Um, so yeah, I think there's, I, I don't kind of fight that, uh, that, that, that situation, yeah. Yes, in the back. So my question is, ha have you found that people get a little creative with some of their answers, the people that are helping out other people? For instance, I wouldn't be able to send someone to Spain if they wanted to go, but I could take them to a Spanish restaurant and talk, to the, talk about my trip or something like that. But have you found that people have done the same? Have, have, they, have they gotten creative and do you encourage that kind of thing? Can you please question. join? <laughs> Can you please join and be, be creative? <laughs> um. I, I, I'm not like the oracle. I don't, I don't read every feed and see everything. I feel like people are creative and that's what's part of beautiful about this process is that you see people's personalities, you see their generosity, you see their humor, you see, you see so much through it. Um, and uh, inevitably creativity ties into that. But I certainly think that you should sign up and be as creative as possible in your answers. We did have one actually yesterday, uh, yesterday when we posted about this event happening, um, somebody uh, I saw a tweet on Twitter that said, I wish I could fly to New York to be there. And then um, Impossible, who's uh, handled by one of our colleagues in Europe, I loved watching this dialogue, replied as Impossible with a link to a flight, uh, to download a flight, <laughs> like a flight scanner. Um, and they got into this like banter about the different ways he could imagine being here. So people do naturally, naturally try and fulfill wishes in obscure ways. <laughs> So we hope that he watches the podcast. Um, and certainly Lily and I hope that all of you will join Impossible and even if not, engage in the discipline of gratitude. Thank you all so much for being here this evening. Thanks again to the Apple Store and let's keep dreaming. Thank you very much.